And beginning in verse 34. When the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together, and one of them, a scholar of the law, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hangs the whole law and the prophets. Holy and gracious God, may your Holy Spirit give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation, so that with the eyes of our hearts enlightened, we may know the hope of which Christ has called us, the riches of His glorious inheritance among us, and the greatness of His power for those who believe, as we now receive your word, for as the flower fades and the grass withers, the word of God shall stand forever. In the glorious name of Jesus, amen. Christ-like or less lost-like is the title of the message. Christ-like or less lost-like? This is birthed out of a conversation at Cracker Barrel some time ago in the discussion of the law and the purpose of the law in the life of the believer and in light of our study of the prodigal son, the prideful older brother, and the prophet and priest son who is the third son in the story. In the context here of Matthew, Jesus tells a parable of a wedding feast and then is asked by one of the Pharisees about paying his taxes to Caesar. And then the Sadducees come and argue about the resurrection to which they decide having struck out with the Pharisee and having been struck down by the... Jesus strikes down the Sadducee, now they shall send a scribe. So now it is an opportunity for Jesus to be tested by a lawyer. Now, all of these attempts failed to discredit Jesus. You must understand this. They failed. They felt that they could, they had, however, to discredit him in front of the people. And everywhere Jesus was, there were people. There were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, there were the disciples and there were the sinners. Jesus always drew a crowd, and Jesus always said hard things. And people were gathered around, and so they thought here, this was the opportunity to break His hold on the people. They would finally crack Him, and that He would be shown to be this counterfeit Messiah that was rising up against the Roman authorities, and because of such action, they would be able to finally knock Him off and go about doing what they have always done, oppressing the people, a people that were like sheep without a shepherd. Well, they met together, the text tells us, at the beginning. They had a secret committee meeting. And they gathered together, and they found a scribe, a scholar of the law, to ask him a question. 
But there was something we need to understand about this lawyer. This lawyer, there's something different about him. There's something going on in him, apparently, that his heart has been touched by the Lord Jesus Christ some way. And there's two indications. In Mark, for example, in chapter 12, verse 28, it says that Christ was reasoning together with the Sadducees and this man perceived Christ had answered them well. It is not often that you will hear a lawyer uh, in, in many public places say that you have done well because they're in it to win it. It's a battle of perception. Our good lawyer we have here has always, though, been the opposite. He's been a man of great compliments and, and encouragement, and that's why we love him. Somebody hit him with the elbow and wake him up. He didn't hear that. At the conclusion, he did. Mark chapter 12, verse 34. It says this, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. So there is something very special about this scribe that has been set up by the Pharisees and the Sadducees to test Jesus. He knows whom he is going to speak with. He has already seen how he behaves and how he answers. And there is something that Jesus says that strikes a chord in this man that has absolutely transformed society since it happened. His heart was touched and it was stirred on a very deep note. And, he was, and though he was being put forth by an official body to challenge Christ, the spirit, the wisdom and self-consciousness and the authority, something about when he was answering the Sadducee, has stirred his heart to wonder and want more of this Christ. So why the title? Christ-like or less lost-like? Brothers and sisters, it is my persuasion that the majority of my Christian life and the majority of my life as a Christian has been a life trying to live less lost-like. One reason is the tradition I come out of. Don't drink, dance, chew, or date girls that do. Don't, don't, don't. And I was sitting the other day with Johnny McGregor, and I wish to give you good news. I was sitting with him, and a phone call came from his son Jonathan, when Jonathan was diagnosed with the liver cancer, his, his uh, tumor marker count was 7,000, whatever that means. He had just gotten a report from MD Anderson that he told his father his tumor count was, was 10.5. 10.5, not thousand, million, billion, 10.5. And Johnny just began to cry there in the Cracker Barrel in Allen, and I said, God is going to break your son. He is going to break him with goodness. Jonathan is brilliant beyond brilliant. And he knows it. He knows it. And he's going to break him. And I said, Johnny, what would have happened if you and I raised our kids to be Christ-like instead of not less lost-like? You say, well, what is the biblical proof of it? 
I can show it to you. In the law, the Pharisees and the Sadducees created over 600 laws. Here Jesus is asked how to please God and he sums it up in two sentences. He doesn't talk about don't do this, don't do that, be less lost-like, be less human, be less fleshly. No, what does he say? He says this to you. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it, great and foremost. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, hang, underline the word hang. It is very, very interesting he uses that word. On these two commandments, hang the whole law and the prophets. Now this has been abused. This has been abused very much with the concept of all we need to do is love. There's been books written that have been popularized by people of very shallow faith thinking that all Christianity is is a love feast with God. It is not. Those that are in Christ know what it feels like. You bear the weight of your, you bear the weight of your flesh you bear the weight of the fact that your flesh will never be sanctified. You will never, ever change your sinful flesh. It will never become less incorruptible. That's why it has to die. Paul talks about this in Romans 8. It says, The law is condemnation in my members, but the law is life-giving in my mind. And over and over and over again, all of my life, I've listened to people say, I'm not interested in you talking to my mind, talk to my heart, conform my flesh. You cannot be a believer and not use your mind. You have to use your mind. Renew our mind that we may know the good and acceptable will of God is what the Bible says. The, the process of sanctification is the renewal of the mind and not the renewal of the heart, not the renewal of the flesh. It's the renewal of the mind so that we can discern what is the right and good pleasing will of God so that on that day we're not ashamed. I always thought when it said, you know, when He returns you don't want to be ashamed. It's like, okay, well, I'll, I'm not going to be out by the lake in the pickup truck drinking a beer when Jesus comes so that I'll be ashamed. No, it's what will the condition of my mind be? And here He tells you. First and foremost, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. For in this is the sum of the law and the prophets. In this is the sum of the teachings of Moses and the teachings of Elijah. In this is the summation. It's what it's all about. Love. L-O-V-E. And so the verses 34 through 36 expositionally we see that you we see that Christ used this occasion to teach the greatest provision and duty of the human life. So write it down. The greatest provision and duty of the human life is love. It's to be Christ-like, not less lost-like. You can spend your life being less lost-like and you, the best you have hope to do is go to a monastery or a convent because that's all they do. It is through suffering, 
through self-denial, through, uh, through aesthetics, uh, through uh, um, um, the whole process of suffering that they think they will become more holy. You never will. If you could, then your body could be, con- could be conformed to the image of Christ. It can't. The law is at work in your members and it is condemnation that you do not do the things you want to do and the things you don't want to do and you do. But the law in your mind is not the law of condemnation. It is the Mosaic law and the words of the prophet and they are grace. They show you how to renew your mind and to show you what Christ has done for you. So let's begin. With the Pharisees plotting against Jesus, you have these religionists coming. The word they indicates the Pharisees and the Sadducees and they send this young, brilliant scribe to Jesus having already in the previous verses been silenced. So what is this lawyer? Let me tell you what the lawyer word is. It's nomikos. And it is a professional It's a profession of laymen who studied, taught, and interpreted and dealt with the practical questions of the Jewish law. Listen to me. They dealt with the practical questions of the Jewish law. They did not deal with the spiritual implications of the law. They did not deal with the theological implications of the law. They dealt with the law from the standpoint of what seems practical to their mind. That's strange fire. And so he's called a scribe. And they functioned in the courts and in the synagogues and they dealt more with the study and the interpretation of the law. Now notice this. He asks in verse 26, notice what happens here. He says, which is the great commandment in the law? Now through the years, Jewish teachers had set up 600 commandments. No person could keep them all. No one could. So the question was often asked and discussed, which commandment or commandments must be absolutely obeyed? It's similar to you asking me this question. James is all sin the same. Which sins are worse than other sins? Which commandment or commandments must be absolutely obeyed and which ones must, well, you know, maybe, which ones are important and which one are not? Can, and, and ultimately, is can the failure of obeying one be condoned or not? Which commandments are heavy and which commandments are light? If a person keeps the greatest of the precepts, can he be excused from keeping, not keeping the other lesser ones. Let me just say this to you about that to just solve this problem real quick. Number one, this is the sin for which James was attacked. Just write down James 2 verse 10. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend at one point is guilty of it all. That is the answer to the scribe's question. But that's not the answer Jesus gives. But that is the answer to the scribe's question. For whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. And then something else. Christ taught that some laws are all-inclusive and broader than others. Just look over at verse 23 
Chapter 23, verse 23, or mark it right there in your Bible at verse 22 and listen to what Jesus says. 23, 23. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, which is justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. What is Jesus saying? He tells them two things. One, you are showing favoritism over the commandments. And number two, you should be doing all of them. Now see, this is all part of the same discourse. And he's about to go into the Olivet Discourse, which is terrifying. Chapter 24 and, 20, 24 and 25. And so the Pharisees are trying to turn people against Jesus because the people differed on what the greatest commandment was. Some believed that, you know, it had to do with circumcision. Others believed it had to do with sacrifices. Others believed it had to do with the Sabbath. The Pharisees hoped that by stating his opinion, they would divide up the group that's standing there and it would, call, it would disturb the people that, that held a position different from his own and they would, they would depart from him, lessening the weight of one commandment that was weighty for one and making a commandment more weighty that was less weighty for another. It didn't work. And so I want you to remember this. All of God's laws are important. Do not go away from here, identify yourself as a journey person, and say we don't live under the law. You've been taught better than that. The law to our flesh is condemnation, but the law to our minds is grace. And because we have come to Christ Jesus, the law has moved from condemnation to grace for us. It shows us what God is like. It shows us what God values. It shows us that we're not like God, but there's been a way for us to begin to live like God, and it speaks to man's need. When I hear people don't read their Old Testament, it, it concerns me dearly because they don't understand the Old Testament is the mirror and see the law is the mirror. But you look at the law now and you say, okay, I look at the law and the Bible says that it condemns my flesh, so I'm going to die. But because that law is grace, out of the grave is not going to come this flesh, but something gloriously more new. Praise God for the law. Because I will not dwell in heaven in a 51-year-old overweight body with type 2 diabetes. Because of the law. And so don't think of the law as super law or lesser law. The Bible says whoever keeps the whole law and offends at one point is guilty. So I want to say this to you as I move to the next point. This passage is a profitable passage for all of us that conduct business in society. And it is particularly good because if we are open and honest as this man seems to have been, just a passing thought, in the day of judgment it will be interesting to see if this lawyer was one of the converts that are mentioned. I believe he is in Acts chapter 6, verse 9. Acts 6, verse 9. So now, what is the first commandment, the greatest commandment? 
Verses 37 and 38 says, And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. It says, You shall not be less lost-like. You shall not stop doing this, stop doing that, stop doing that, stop doing that. You shall be less this, less this, less this, less this. It doesn't say that. It speaks to the positive, affirmative. It says, This is the law, the greatest commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your mind. Right out by there, Deuteronomy 6 verse 5. This is called the Shema. The Shema. This is recited every time the Jews have Passover, Sabbath, Yom Kippur. It's the very first thing we learn in Hebrew in seminary. Um, it, it is... It's Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. Love the Lord thy God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. That's how it appears in the Old Testament. You say, well, it's, you, it's different here because it says mind. I'll deal with that. But since the first two parts are correct, we will then interpret love and uh, being or soul with the law first mentioned, where it is first mentioned in the Old Testament. So I'll use the Hebrew. First of all, to love the Lord your God. I want you to write this down. You're, this should encourage you. You ready? This means love the Lord as your very own. Love the Lord as your very own. Love God as your very own God. The word your here means personal relationship. Most have a distant relationship and a head full of knowledge. It's a personal relationship. God is not impersonal. He is not distant. He's not far out someplace distant and removed. He is personal. He is so close that we are personally involved with God on a face-to-face -face basis. Love God as your own God. Not James's. Not George's. Yours. Love the Lord your God as your own God. And note it says, love the Lord your God. Loving God is, an, is, a, is a verb this way. It's alive and active. So it means not dead and inactive. So it means loving and keep on loving. Love Him. Keep on loving Him. And when you've done all that, you keep loving Him. You say, well, how do I do that? As my own. My big hundred pound, seven month old mastodor has... I think crossed the line because she just now can't sleep on the floor. She can't sleep on Kelly's side of the bed either. So I have a special blanket that whatever, but she will not let me out of my sight. And I told Kelly this morning, I said, I think I love this dog more than Pepper. I love her as my own. She knows my voice. And I know her, everything else. The kids want me to paint her red because she looks just like Clifford the dog. We might do that. I asked Truett, I said, what do you propose we paint her with? 
He said, Rust-Oleum. And I said, can we wash it out? He said, she'll blow her coat in 10 months. It's like, well, no, we're not doing that. Maybe we'll go to some costume place and paint her red because she really does look like Clifford the dog. Loving God is an act that is alive and active. So I want you to take this truth. All the time you spend on trying to be less lost-like or less like a non-Christian, take that time and spend it loving God as your own. You say, I, I can't love God like that because God has to share. That's not what the Bible says. He is a personal God. You're not a Muslim. Muslims love like most Christians love God. A collective God. He is your personal God. Love Him. And keep on loving Him. And when you've done everything to love Him, love Him more. Amen? And this, the love of God, it, it's to do it with all of your being. And so it's broken down here into three ways. In the heart, the soul, and the mind. And so let me just speak to this very briefly. To the heart, the soul, and the mind. The word heart in the Old Testament is this. In the inner person. In the inner man. It is the inner person. Labab is the word. In the inner person. The inner being. Love God internally. In your inner being. The heart is the seat of man's affection and his devotion. Write that down. The heart is the seat of man's affection and devotion. It attaches and focuses our will and our devotion. It causes us to give either good things or bad things. It causes us to devote ourselves either to good things or bad things. Therefore, Christ says we're to love with all of our heart. With all of it. Not part of it. Not Sunday part of it. All of it. Love the Lord with all your heart. We're to folk. Now, how do you do that? You have to focus your heart. You have to focus your heart, your affections, and all your will upon God. Kelly and I were visiting the other day, and I said, Kelly, I want you to know, you know how much I love you, but you're not my first love. And she said, I know. It is the church. I will die doing this. To die doing this will be successful. That's why I don't want to go sin and be disqualified from ministry. And I know this, I was never qualified for ministry. Never have been. But I'll tell you what, God qualifies the called. I don't want to do anything else. I don't want to go fly airplanes. I don't want to go sell snake oil. I don't want to do that stuff. I'd rather be poor and faithful than look back on my life and say these words, look what could have been. And it all starts with a love for God. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and then the soul. Notice this word, the soul, nefesh in the Old Testament. I'm going to use, now I've taught you about the soul and the spirit. They're one and the same thing from two, uh, two, two perspectives. I'm not going to talk about the spirit. I'm going to talk about the soul though. It is the, now listen, where the other one is the heart of affections, the heart, the soul is, is the seat of man's breath. 
It is the seat of man's breath and his life consciousness. It is the life of a man. When you die, your soul departs. And that's because you're dead. Your body is. But the soul, we have souls that will never die. Did you know that? Our soul was given to us sometime when God chose to give it. But He gave us our soul. It did not, our soul is not the result of a human conception. It is the very gift of God. The Bible teaches this. And it's eternal. Or not eternal, it's everlasting. The Bible says that He knew us before we were born. That's not speaking of some kind of silly foreknowledge and warped uh, soteriology. He knew us before we were born because He knew our souls. That is a mystery. And I'm happy for that just to stay there. The Bible says it. That settles it. No other animal has a soul. We are the only animal that has a soul. As a man, a woman, a soul is the breath, the consciousness, and man and animals are breathing and conscious beings, but ours has a soul that is living, and that living brings life. And it brings a life abundantly. And this living soul were created and breathed into us. And what has happened is caused us, the fact that you have a soul is that you have the ability to be conscious. One of my favorite TV shows is Star Trek. And right now we're having the Picard series. It's, it's a wrap-up. of It's just tying a bow on the knot for 30 years ago for Star Trek Next Generation with Patrick Stewart as Captain Picard. But there was this character in Star Trek Next Generation who was a robot named Data. Commander Data or Commander Data. And Data always wanted to have emotions. And now Data, 30 years later, he is... He has emotions now, but one thing Data does not have, he does not have a soul. He is not a sentient being. Consequently, is why he's a freak. So God, so Christ said that we're to love God not only with all of our heart, but listen to me, with all of our soul. What does that mean? Not just all of our emotion but all of our breath. And how are we to love Him? We're to love Him as our own. Can you imagine raising your children, teaching them that? Where that was drilled into their heads more than the things that they should not have done. I'm going to experiment on this when I have grandkids. It may not last very long, but that, I mean, Beth's shock collar probably could fit one of them. I love you. (laughs) Now, Jesus uses the word, uses the word here, he says, mind. But the Shema says, strength. I'm not going to tell you why that's different. Because if I do, that's what you're going to leave with. It's fascinating. You have to come drink coffee with me to learn that. The word strength means full strength. You say, well, I'm not as strong as I used to be. You know what? That may be true, but you still have full strength. It says, love Him full strength. 
all the strength of a person. It means use up one strength thoroughly to point to the point of exhaustion is the idea here. We're to love God with all of our strength thoroughly to the point of our exhaustion. Now you think about that. If you spend your time doing that, this is the covenant that God is making with Moses, the Mosaic covenant, the people love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And he's saying, what if you do this? Well, what are they about to do in Deuteronomy? What's the next chapter? Joshua, what's going to happen in Joshua? They're going to establish the nation. They're going to fought the battle of Jericho, battle of Jericho, right? They're going to cross into the promised land. He is telling them how to do it. He's already written Leviticus. He's written Numbers. He's written Exodus. But what is happening? He gives them the Shema after he has written the law. After the commandments, he says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. And so, let me just give you a few practical things about this loving idea. Boil it down and then I'll move on to the word strength or the word mind. Number one, a loving relationship involves commitment and loyalty. A loving relationship involves commitment and loyalty. Loyalty is my most favorite attribute to show for people. I am loyal. To not be loyal is to be a liar. To be loyal, true love does not allow lustful behavior with others. It does not covet. It does not care for a carnal definition of love that allows fleshly acts or sensual relationships. No, it's, it's a commitment and loyalty to one another. Number two, a loving relationship involves trust and respect. Not only love and devotion, but trust and respect, loyalty and devotion for the, pers- for the person that is loved. It is loving the person for who that person is. God loves you for who you are. He loves you the way you are. And the beautiful thing is He's not going to leave you that way. If you'll let Him into your mind and get out of your flesh, He'll conform you to His image. He's the creator and sustainer of life. He's the Savior and Redeemer of our souls. He is the Lord and the owner of our lives. Everything we are, have, and do, it is Him. And it's all based upon love. Absolute commitment to us. Absolute loyalty to us. Absolute trust. Absolute respect. Why? Because His Son gave Himself for us. He who knew no sin became sin that we who are sinners become the very righteousness of God. Three, a loving relationship involves giving and surrendering of oneself. Giving and surrendering of oneself. It's the drive to give oneself, to surrender oneself to another, not to take or to conquer. It's to give oneself to love God, to surrender to Him. Oh, to Jesus, I surrender. All the rest of the words that go with it. Number three, four, a loving relationship involves knowing and sharing. It involves knowing and sharing. The desire is to know and to share, learning and growing, working and serving ever so closely together. We're to know and to share with God, learning and growing. We think that we've got to know and share everything we've learned with everybody else. You learn it for you. He gives it for you. He is your own God. He wants you to love Him that way. Kelly is my own wife. She's no one else's wife. She's my own. So I have to be loyal to her. I have to be 
trustworthy. I have to surrender myself. I have to respect. I have to vacuum and pick up my sock. I'm not sorry. I have to, that's not Christ-like. That's less lost-like. I have to do those things, but she is my one and only personal wife. God's the same. It's the greatest in the sum and substance of all the commandments. God demands that He be loved and His commandment to love is both personal and active. It's to love. It is the commandment to love God that is also given by Christ His Son in the presence of the Holy Spirit. It is the very ability to love God that has been given to us by Christ's Holy Spirit. Now, what about the word mind? Why did Jesus, though, say the word mind? Look what He says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with your mind. In verse 37, let me just say something about the mind real quick. The mind is the seat of reasoning and understanding. I don't understand why there is such an attempt to make reason and understanding look like something that is not faithful. And I never will, but I know this much, it's a lie. And that idea is birthed from the devil. Because if he can keep you in the dark, he will. God has given intellectual powers to man... Man thinks, he reasons, he understands. Christ says that our minds and our thoughts are to be centered upon God. We're to love God with all our mind. What's this look like? Being Christ-like, not less lost-like. It really boils down to these few things. Love God actively as my own personal God. Personally. As my own. Love Him as my own. Not my own personal God. Love Him as my own. How do I do it? With my soul. And with my heart. With my strength. And my mind. And so, He says this is how to do it. Romans chapter 12 verse 2. Listen to this. Write it down. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I will never ever be able to prove what is the good and acceptable will of God if I just rest on yesterday's teaching. A loving relationship is an active relationship. It's a growing relationship. It's a relationship that moves forward. And put you off the new man, and put you on the new man, after which God created righteousness and true holiness, Ephesians 4.24. And Colossians 3.10, listen. And having done that, that new man is renewed in knowledge after the image of Him that created Him. There you go. Is renewed in the image of Him that created Him. Who is that? Who created you? Christ. There it is. Christ-likeness. not less lost likeness. Then he says the second thing, very quickly. He says in verse 39, he says, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor 
as yourself. Now, wait a minute. What does he mean the second is like it? Does he mean the second is like it in gravity? No, because he has definitely declared in the first one, this is the greatest in summation of all the law. So he says the second one is like it. So what does he mean then if he says the second one is like it? Is it just as great? No. It's love your neighbor. What does it say? It says right there, it says, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So what's he saying? With all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. How are you love them? As your own neighbor. With your emotions, with your will, and your affections to the point of exhaustion. Against this, there is no law. And that's not what it says. It says this is the summation of all the law and the prophets. I don't have to sit here and think about, okay, so is it okay for me to smoke marijuana and be a Christian? I don't have to ask that question. Is it okay for me to drive recklessly and not wear my seatbelt? I don't have to deal with that. What do I deal with? My heart my soul, my mind, and my strength in relation to my own God and my own neighbors and myself. Notice that? I've never noticed any place in the world like it, but Americans are absolutely obsessed with themselves and absolutely publicly deny that they're selfish. Because just to hear what I just said, you should love yourself, causes some of you under your skin to get the willies, because we're not supposed to do that. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. And your neighbor and your God. Notice three things. God, neighbor, you, things just happen in the Bible in triplets. And so, what happens? Here you got it. Love is an active experience. It's not inactive or dormant. And it's the thing that God wants us in genuine love for our neighbor, not in religious rituals. The other day when Jack died, we had the ambulance at the house and then the police department, the county sheriff had to come. Well, Jonna Green came over. She's our neighbor. And the last time that she was at a house where there was an ambulance and a police car, her daughter had committed suicide. So she came over to our house thinking Somebody had taken their own life. And I knew that's why she was there. And I walked out there and and I said, we're all okay. Kelly's father's gone home to be with the Lord. And she said, I just was, and I said, it's okay. Gave her a big hug and just, she has just ministered to us and ministered to us and ministered to us. Been a great neighbor. Listen, brothers and sisters, take this with you. This commandment to love, it flows downward into the other commandment. This commandment to love God flows down into the... Ronald Reagan would like it. It's trickle-down love. The love of God flows down into the love of the neighbor and the love of self. You say, I can't ever love myself. I will tell you you have a problem with loving God. 
but you can always start. Because the Lord does not give the command for you to do something that you cannot do. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. He who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it, and he will do it. And we're, we are to love ourselves, but it must be a godly love, not a selfish one. So let me just give you these running down points here. In summary of this verse, to love our neighbor is a command. It's not an option. To love our neighbor arouses this question. Who is our neighbor? One day Tommy asked me that question. Who is my neighbor? I said, who's your daddy? I didn't really do that. Christ answers the question himself in the parable of the Good Samaritan. Who is your neighbor? The answer is in the parable of the Good Samaritan. A good neighbor is he that shows mercy on any who needs mercy, even if the person is socially despised. And to love your neighbor is a very practical command, for it involves this. It causes you to suffer long, to be kind, to not envy, to not brag, to be arrogant, unbecoming, self-seeking, not touchy, angry, harbor evil plans. It hopes all things, keeps all things, looks for all things. Brothers and sisters, what I'm teaching you this morning from the Scripture is the difference between religious love and the love of our Father. What I'm teaching you this morning is the difference between religious speak and religious behavior and that which is truly authentic as revealed in the Scripture. Religious people are totally... I mean, you th listen, the preachers on television you listen to that are very popular today amongst young people of a particular brand are preachers that are constantly preaching to less lost likeness. They'll be talking about America. They'll be talking about the president. They'll be talking about the country. They'll be talking about everything that's not mentioned in this book. And it's good because if I can be less loss-like, then therefore I know that I'm achieving something. But the more, less the more time you spend being less loss-like, I want you to know this, you will not move one iota of an inch towards being more Christ-like. Whereas there's another brand of preaching that you get here that has introduced you to the covenant-keeping God and says, I'm sufficient. Turn your eyes on me. And what I've shown you this morning as your pastor is to say you're to love him as your own and to tell you it's okay. Put your back in it. Put your will in it. Put your emotions in it. Put your mind in it. And love Him. And then when you've done everything to love Him, keep loving Him. And that love will translate into loving your neighbor and it will translate into loving yourself. All of a sudden we'll be coming to church and everybody's coming to the journey, standing up like this when they walk in and say, boy, aren't those prideful people? No, those are people absolutely in love with God's creation. Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. 
I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. All I know is I'm a great sinner, but He is a far greater Savior. For where sin abounded, grace much more abounded. And those whom God justifies, He will surely glorify. So just love Him. And quit trying to not be something. And give your effort and intention to Him. Jesus Christ loved God the Father so much. And He ends the passage in verse 40 where He says, On these two commandments hangs the whole law and the prophet. This love includes and embraces all the commandments. The law and the prophets is a term used to refer to this. Write this down. The law and the prophets means, it's a metaphor, it means all the Scripture. Say, well, that's good because I don't understand Ecclesiastes. All right, good. What Christ here is saying that all the Scriptures, listen, I told you to underline the word hang. All of the Scripture hangs on love for God and love for neighbor and love for self. In that order. It hangs on it. That's why the Bible is rightly called a love letter. It is a love letter. And Christ paints the picture using the word hang. He says that love of God is a hanger. And love for, ne- love for neighbor is a hanger. And love for self is a hanger. Three hangers. Or as Kelly calls them, hangers. Upon these hangers hangs all that God has ever said, whether it's a commandment or a revelation. Everything that has been said the revelation of truth or the practice of the ceremony of rituals, the sum and the substance of all that God has said and done is love and it's love for you. Love for you. No one else. You. And all He wants from you is love. Love of God and love of neighbor. If I could go back to that 30-year-old preacher in Chattanooga, Oklahoma in June of 2000, I'd shake him and shake him and shake him. Say, my brother, don't preach to these people how to be less lost like. Christianity is not a behavior modification program. Christianity is a total metamorphosis. The Greek word is metamorphumatha. That's a word you need to always remember. It's like taking a caterpillar and turn into a butterfly. Same essence, but it ain't the same thing. 
I'm still as much of a sinner as I was before I got saved. I still have the sin nature I had when I was conceived in my mother's womb. And it will never change. My past will always be my past and the devil has a perfect record of it. I have a record with y'all. Some of you, we've labored 12 years and I wouldn't give it for nothing else. They come and tell me I'm going to be the pilot for Air Force One. I say, you can find another guy. I'm going to go be with those journey people because I wouldn't be the man I am if it were not for them. Because what God does in His church with the elect of God, with the people of God that are growing in grace is He, make, he forms them into an image that they did not even know they could ever believe they could ever be. And what you cannot see, I can see in you. So I want to just close with this word to you. And I'll just, and then you're just dismissed. I'll pray. You remember this. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ever ask or think according to the power of Christ Jesus in you for the glory of His church. Leave this place today at peace knowing that you have God who loves you as His own. And He invites you to love Him all the more as your own. And put your heart in it, put your mind in it, put your strength in it, put your will in it. Try Him out and you will be amazed at the results it will bring to your life. This is the Word of God. May He add His blessings to it. Would you stand?